This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly show, the Husker Online team will give you the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, baseball, and of course, recruiting. Now, here's your host, Husker Online publisher, Sean Callahan. Hello and welcome here to another edition of the Husker Online Show. We are less than a week away from National Signing Day on February 7th. It feels like we've been kind of in this recruiting season for about six months. It's about ready to come to a close. But uh, before we get to the recruiting talk, we start off this week's Husker Online Show uh, with with some other news off the field for Nebraska. Uh, A couple different players um, in the weight room, wide receiver Tyjon Lindsey, defensive end Dylan Owen, uh, were sidelined with rhabdomyolysis, which is basically an ex- a disorder uh, with your muscles that can eventually lead to kidney failure from uh, working yourself out too hard. This happened during Nebraska's first uh, winter conditioning workouts, um, you know, well over a week ago, but it just started to get out and uh, message board talk and whatnot. And then finally, um, you got to give Scott Frost some credit here. I think he got in front of this thing, really addressed it, did his best to kind of put the fires out. And, and nonetheless, this is a very serious deal. Um, and Scott Frost and Bill Moose are treating it uh, as a very serious issue. But, um, you know, th- this is not, you know, they wanted to make it clear, Robin, as I bring in Robin Washington and Claus, this is not a deal where they're trying to put this team through military workouts where they want stuff like this to happen. I mean, it, th- I think this is more a deal where a lot of these guys with a 55-day layoff just weren't ready for what they were getting back into. Yeah, this is not uncharted territory. Obviously, Iowa went through something like this where they had 13 guys uh, come down with the same uh, situation. Oregon got in a lot of heat uh, for having several guys, too. So, I mean, this is kind of a deal where you – it usually happens um, with new coaching staffs kind of wanting to set the tone, but I don't think that was necessarily the case here. Um, you know, they tested out uh, Nebraska's entire roster to kind of get a gauge of where they were physically and kind of tailored the workouts around that. Um, and so, you know, that's I think it's more, like you said, a byproduct of having such a long layoff and essentially putting it on the players themselves to keep themselves uh, at the, you know, physical fitness level where you would expect them to be. And obviously, um, you know, that that may have played a part into it. Obviously, and sometimes it's just the individual, um, how your kind of genetics are made up. Um, so certainly, uh, obviously, nothing you want to mess around with. And I think that you're right, Sean, Sean or, uh, Scott Frost, Bill Moose did a great job of jump, jumping in front of this thing, not letting it linger on the message boards and kind of blow up into something even bigger than it should have been. Um, and I think that they're going to kind of learn from this and uh, kind of uh, adjust accordingly going forward. Yeah, I think the imp- the other important thing here is that um, that they adjusted the workout. They actually cut back, you know, after seeing where the team tested out at. They actually cut dialed things back from what they nor- would normally do. And it wasn't like this was some sort of like two hour boot camp, you know, military boot camp style. A thirty two minute workout. Yeah, it was a thirty two minute workout, and and uh, you know. As a strength coach, you can obviously control the workouts, but um, you you still have to kind of rely on guys if they're feeling a certain way to to let you know um, you know what's going on. They had trainers in there, and uh, I think they were prepared for you know in case anyone um, had had issues, and, and nothing popped up right away. It was it was a day or two afterwards where things really um, you know set in, and, and those guys realized that that the, they were not recovering from the workout like they normally would. Would have and I think it's a deal where Scott Frost had an idea this team was not going to be 
probably in the best of shape. And, and a lot of it is when you go from Black Friday until basically a couple of days after Martin Luther King Day before you have an organized workout in the weight room. This is going to happen. The same thing happened in Oregon. They didn't go to a bowl game last year. They had a long layoff before the new staff came in and, and kind of began the winter program. And um, to me, you know, there's not a lot of Power 5 programs um, you know, that that have this type of stuff that go down where you don't go to a bowl game, you have a coaching change, the players are literally away from it for nearly two months. Um, so I just think naturally when you get away from competition that long, I don't care who you are, it's kind of like when you go to the gym on your own and try to work out versus when you do a class at the gym. There's a big difference, Robin, when you when you do the class versus kind of doing your own little workout. Yeah, I mean, you're just going to push yourself. And, you know, especially with a new staff here, the last thing you want to do is be the guy that taps out in the middle of the first week of workouts. And so I think there was probably some ego involved there to where, you know, maybe they were not feeling great but didn't want to speak up because they didn't want to be, be perceived as weak links uh, by their new coaches. So, I mean, it's, you know, unfortunately probably something that happens far too often in college football – um, but again, you know, I think that the way that, um, that Nebraska responded to this, you know, the way that they kind of just came out, got it out in the open, and I think are going to adjust how they operate going forward. You know, I think that that's the best case scenario, giving some unfortunate circumstances. Yeah, you, if you compare it to how Willie Taggart handled it last year, exactly. I mean, he, um, you know, tried to keep it completely under wraps, and then once a once a local newspaper reporter um, broke the story, then that guy's the bad guy, of yeah, course. Yeah. And, it, you know, and it happened, he broke it about a month after everything went down, and then that guy was shunned from the media. I mean, it was just, you know, it was a big cover-up, and, um, you know, I read an article where that strength and conditioning coach was was uh, not certified at the level that most other Power 5 strength coaches are and so on and so forth. And, and the good thing for Zach Duvall here. Um, you know, is, is that he doesn't have a track record here of this happening, I don't believe. So this is kind of an anomaly for him. Well, and on Twitter, too, a lot of Central Florida players, when that story broke, uh, they were retweeting it saying, the, them corn boys weren't ready. And so clearly uh, they knew exactly what uh, Nebraska's players were going to be getting themselves into. So, um, you know, I, I again, I think it was just kind of some um, – isolated unfortunate incidents and you look at how many players went through that workout without problems you know I think it's just kind of you know some unfortunate casualties there. and knowing the Vedral family like I do the workout I can tell you the workout they did was the same workouts they've done at Central Florida I mean this was not a let's create a workout to get everybody to quit and, and leave the program to free up scholarships I mean this was your day one back, but nonetheless, this is behind Nebraska, um, you know, and, and and they got in front of this like two pros do. I mean, I, I think you got to credit, like we said, credit Bill Moose, credit Scott Frost, because once the World Herald, once the Journal Star started digging after it was on message boards for days, it was speculated on talk radio shows for days, um, you know, Tyson Lindsay tweeted about it as well. And I think that was really what let the cat back out of the bag. They began to prepare themselves for what to say and how to handle this. And they've gone through and done that. And uh, some other news this week before um, we, we move into the show, uh, we did. Uh, it was confirmed to the Journal Star by Bill Moose. The spring game will be a live broadcast in 11 a.m. Uh, kickoff live on the Big Ten Network. And that was why the game was moved up uh, until 11 a.m. But There'll be some benefits to that, too. I think Scott Frost wants that morning practices this year uh, to kind of get the team ready. So um, there's a little thought behind maybe an earlier kick for the spring game. 
Yeah, and I think when they moved the date of it, you know, obviously we knew there was going to be some adjustments to the spring schedule, but I think the time of the kickoff, like I said, that kind of was a, a pretty good indication of um, the, the television aspect of it. And I know there were some initial concerns of how that was going to affect the attendance, uh, the fact that people could stay home and watch the game live. I don't think it's going to have much to do with anything. No, you want to be yeah. there. This is going to be a special moment. Exactly. That you You want to be in that stadium when Scott Frost takes that field. Yeah, because everybody's going to say, did you go to the game? Like, heck yeah, I did. And then they're going to get all jacked up and talked about how great Scott Frost is going to be. Yeah, this is, it's going to be a spectacle. I mean, this is going to be. It really is. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of eager to see, you know, what the university does to maybe even – um, you know, make it more dramatic than it already is because I mean, it was already a hot ticket. No it, cats, please. Yeah, yeah, God, <laughs> please, dear Lord, not. But, um, yeah, I, I think that uh, this is already a hot ticket and, and tickets haven't even gone, you know, gone on sale yet. So it's not a matter of, um, you know, if they'll break the record, I think it's a matter of whether or not it'll be sold out, and I, I think it probably will be. All right, and then some other news this week that broke and uh, was Zach Darlington announced on Twitter uh, that he will not be coming back for a fifth year. He was the holder, uh, reserve receiver, emergency quarterback, just kind of a do-it-all guy. Uh, we got some more insight on Zach Darlington and his decision from Chris Hayes, a guy I got a chance to meet um, in Atlanta over the Peach Bowl. He's the Orlando Sentinels uh, lead recruiting writer, a longtime veteran of covering Florida high school football, um, very close to Darlington and his family. Uh, I talked to Chris about Zach as well as the seven recruits Nebraska has gotten commitments from or signed from the state of Florida. So that will be next. We'll talk some basketball, recruiting, your questions in the mailbag. But we'll hear from Chris Hayes next. Here, you're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan here back with you as we approach signing day. And wanted to bring in um, a gentleman I had a chance to meet when I was down in Atlanta covering the Peach Bowl and UCF. Uh, we're pleased to be joined here on the show by Chris Hayes, uh, who is the recruiting specialist and writer for the Orlando Sentinel. So not only... Did he cover Scott Frost and kind of his staff and what they did um, as far as their recruiting goes the last couple of years in Orlando, but has a pretty good handle on the talent level um, in the state of Florida as well. So with Nebraska taking seven guys, we wanted to get his thoughts on that. But Chris, uh, first thing I want to ask you, you had a chance to talk with Zach Darlington. Uh, Zach Darlington made the announcement that uh, he would not come back for his fifth season to Nebraska uh, in order to uh, enter a career in the military. You know Zach. You know the family really well from Apopka. Uh, just your thoughts on Zach and, and, and kind of his decision to, to make this move. Yeah, Z's a kid who I, I just really always held him as a, as a pretty special guy in in terms of uh, what he's all about, not just as a football player, but he's just one of those guys, whether it was his leadership on the football field or the way he carried himself off the field, it, it, it just looking at him, you could see how guys could look up to him. And it, it wasn't a big surprise what he, when he announced yesterday, because I think I had told you I'd spoke with his father, member, and he was kind of leaning that direction anyway. But um, for, for Zach to go out the way he is right now, it just kind of makes sense for him. We're talking to Chris Hayes here from the Orlando Sentinel. And you go back to Zach and you think about, how high of a recruit he was at one point. Urban Meyer wanted him as a quarterback, and then Nebraska 
was able to convince him to come uh, over a visit that he took to Ohio State, you know, in that process. Then the concussions happened. Um, the last one happened in high school where he was actually taken off the field, I believe, in a in, a, in an ambulance or helicopter. And um, it was pretty scary stuff. A lot of people don't even think Zach would play football. Uh, what do you remember about that and, and how serious that was? And, and, I mean, were you even surprised that Zach was able to make it through four years of college football knowing how serious uh, the concussions he battled were at that time? Knowing him and knowing that he made it to the point where he did – up into where he announced his he was leaving the program doesn't surprise me at all just just knowing Zach but the, the weird thing is that when I first found out about it, I didn't know about the first concussion until a few days later when I went to a camp and Zach was there and I don't know if you remember but he suddenly had a speech impediment because of the concussion and um, it just really shocked me to hear him trying to talk and it made me realize the significance of what had happened with the original injury, which happened during a practice session uh, workout thing with a with a tractor tire. Yeah, it is. Um, so it's just – go ahead. Oh, is it, it, the concussions, I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, as far as how these things operate, I think we've learned more and more in, uh, about the severity of these things. Yeah, and so um, it didn't surprise me that he would try to come back. But then when he took the hit in the South Carolina game, I wondered what would be the the long-term effects of that. But like I said, knowing him, knowing the drive that he has and just his love of the game, I knew he would stick with it. But um, I think it was a good decision for him to not to play his senior year. And obviously his dad, taking all the safety precautions necessary, didn't want him out there if he was going to get hurt again. That's kind of how that all came together. But the fact that Nebraska kept his scholarship and he was able to go there, that's something that meant a lot to him then, and it still does. We're talking with Chris Hayes here of the Orlando Sentinel. Now as we transition to this new Nebraska staff, uh, you've got as much knowledge about kind of them and their recruiting track record as anyone being right there in Orlando. Um, you surprised at all that this staff has been able to get seven Florida natives uh, in this recruiting class in such a short period. It's the most ever by far Nebraska's had in one recruiting class. No, it's not at all surprising because every I look at every one of the kids on the list and they have a, a vast familiarity with each of these kids. They have recruited them when they were at UCF. They'd seen them play past season and had kept in contact with them, especially guys like Dominic Watts and Miles Jones. And, and it, it really, you look at the board and it's almost like a UCF recruiting board, quite honestly, but it doesn't surprise me at all, especially given – in, in terms of how it works with Scott Frost's offense, especially the offensive players. So um, that's just really not surprising at all. Yeah, when you look at the names that they have, I mean, they've been able to get some pretty high-profile Florida natives um, in this class, two from the JUCO ranks, but five from the high school ranks. Um, a few different four-star guys uh, in that bunch of Florida natives as well. When you, when you go down the class, Dominic Watt, a four-star uh, wide receiver, out of Hollywood, uh, Miles Jones, a four-star running back athlete out of Plantation, are, are are just a couple of you know the higher-profile names as well. C.J. Smith, a four-star defensive back out of West Palm Beach. What can you tell us about some of these players, just from your knowledge of seeing some of these guys? Miles is a guy who helped uh, Plantation High to the state title in Class Five A. Here, um, 
he's one of those kind of do every do every sort of thing running backs uh, slot receiver type guys kind of reminds me a lot of Adrian Killens the way Scott Frost used him at UCF but maybe even more so has more versatility in, in the passing game and then um and he's very fast very very fast which is also going to bode well for the Scott Frost offense and then with Dominic Watt, he, he's a big-bodied receiver, a guy you don't see at that size playing receiver a lot of times. And, and I even liked him when I saw him last year at a summer camp as a safety. But um, it'll remain to be seen how they use him in Nebraska, and he could even end up on the defensive side of the ball eventually. And then, of course, uh, C.J. Smith is the brother of Traquan Smith, a, a UCF receiver who is a guy who just w- really works hard, a tough-nosed kid, and – He's got a shot at the NFL, Trey Quan. So if his brother is anything like him in terms of a working type kid and a leader and just obviously the talent's there, he's just going to be a really really special player. Well, then you look at another guy, um, Braxton Clark out of Dr. Phillips, a big-time program in Orlando. Um, not, I mean, he's a, a low-ranked three-star in rivals, but he had 13 offers, 6'3", 190. You know, it just strikes me, Chris, as this is a type of guy like a UCF recruit every year, and he just decided, you know what, I'm going to go up to Nebraska. I mean, he just um, probably would have been a guy that would have been at UCF if Frost was still there. Yeah, Braxton's a guy that was under the radar. Even I had him ranked low. And, and then I realized that I had forgotten about his um, ACL injury when he was a junior, and he missed several games last the year before this past season. So as he was trying to work back, he didn't quite look the player that a lot of people thought he's – thought he should be including myself but as the season progressed this year he really came on his cover skills were a lot better obviously he's a big big guy to throw over and and he does have even though he does have size he does have good cover skills so i think he's probably still a little bit of a project but he's a guy who uh, obviously coach frost and the staff think they can work with so um that's that should be interesting to watch as as time goes by with him and when you recruit Florida, I mean, one thing I've noticed is when I, I've been out in Miami now for multiple camps, and you, you just see so many guys, but you're almost overwhelmed because you don't really know who a lot of the guys are when you're at some of these bigger camps. I mean, how important is it just to have that familiarity with the names, uh, the trainers down there? The pro, I mean, because every that's one other thing I've noticed about Florida. It's not always the high school coach. you got to know the trainers down there and, and the other people down there that kind of work with these kids uh, to get in with a lot of these South Florida kids. Yeah, there are a lot of behind-the-scenes guys, and some of them can be the, the not-so-great type of people <laughs> that you want to get involved with. But, um, but I yeah, use you trainers. Do, <laughs> do your, you have to do your your footwork, so to speak. And, and it takes a lot to not only figure out who these kids are, but to – Get your get your foot in the door and, and let them know that you're interested, but also that they should be interested in you. When when you look at this staff at Nebraska, um, what jumps out about you know Sean Beckton's a guy that was a high school coach in Florida even at one time. Is, is he somebody that really brings a strong knowledge and base of connections across the state? Not only being a former UCF guy, but also a high school coach um, in the state of Florida. He's a guy that has some of the best knowledge in terms of. The, the lay of the land for recruiting in high school than anyone. And um, I think you'll also see as well in the future with Nebraska recruiting as they probably will dip into Georgia because there are a, a lot of kids on the UCF roster from Georgia and Coach Beckton was much a part of that as much as he was Florida recruiting. So he knows the lay of the land. 
He knows a lot of the coaches and the people that, that deal with these guys, and he's just done a great job in kind of cultivating that. Chris, have you gotten your national championship UCF T-shirt yet? <laughs> I don't have it yet, and um, I'm assuming I'll probably get one at some point in time. But uh, it's been pretty crazy down here the way that all of this thing has just kind of took taken off from the from the time we were at the Peach Bowl. No, we enjoyed it when we had, just getting a chance to be down there and meet a lot of you guys. It was a fun uh, week in Atlanta and. Um, man, I mean, I know up, up here, I mean, it's almost like Nebraska has been able to capitalize off the 13-0 and season um, as much as anybody. So it, it's it's been fun to follow, and uh, we appreciate the time, uh, Chris, here on the Husker Online Show. Well, we'll be doing the same down here in the future, watching Nebraska and, and see kind of how that all comes together for the Husker fans and, and like Zach Darlington said, the whole state in general as uh, Coach Frost and his staff which is, by the way, just a great staff, up and down. Every guy on the coaching staff is, are just great to work with, and and the state is going to love these guys. Well, we appreciate the time, um, and, and hopefully we can do this again. All right, Sean. Well, thanks a lot. All right, when we come appreciate back, uh, we will shift the discussion back over to basketball. Robin Washett will join us here next as – We'll discuss where Nebraska's at as far as uh, getting into the NCAA tournament as the Huskers sit at 8-4 and four in the Big Ten. That is next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washed, as this segment brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill. It is Super Bowl weekend. No better place to get wings, watch the game, get wings to go. Go into Tanner's. They got five locations in Omaha, two in Lincoln. It is your destination to watch Husker basketball, football, um, everything sports. Or just go in there and get a burger or get some wings. Uh, get into any one of those seven Tanner's locations, Robin. And as we talk some Nebraska basketball, and um, you know, they got this rare break. I mean, Nebraska played four games in eight days. And now they'll close the year, I think, with six games over 26 or 27 days. So every team in the Big Ten, apparently, our friend Michael Spath and Michi- or a former colleague of the Wolverine.com, said every team on the Big Ten schedule had a little stretch like Nebraska had to go through. And then they kind of have this long um, stretch like the Huskers will have at the end of the year. But nonetheless, it's just a terrible schedule. Nebraska's found a way, though, to get ahead of it. And here we are, 8-4 and four right now, Robin, in the Big Ten. Setting up pretty nicely. Um, you know, Nebraska, this was kind of the um, big if, uh, looking at the early in the year, looking at the rest of the schedule, is could they keep their head above water to stay alive for this favorable final stretch back end of the year um, to where things, you know, they, they, what, five of their last seven on, or five of their last six at home, um, and then against, you know, some lower tier competition. And so far, um, not only has Nebraska stayed above water, uh, they've been flourished uh, with the opportunity they have. They've won five of their last six um, with that one loss coming on the road to a top 15 Ohio State team. Um, and so, I mean, really, uh, they're about as red hot as anybody could have expected, um, you know, and they're, they're really kind of coming into their own on both ends of the floor. James Palmer is emerging as a potential all Big Ten player, first team guy. Um, right now, I, in my opinion, he's the lock to win uh, Big Ten Newcomer of the Year. And right now, um, with the way that he's been playing, uh, averaging about 26 
points per game since being benched for the second half against Penn State. Uh, I mean, he's working his way into that conversation for maybe even Big Ten Player of the Year overall. So, um, you know, Isaac Copeland is becoming the player that, you know, on a consistent basis, Nebraska needs him to be. Glenn Watson is out of that slump. Uh, And so, I mean, it's really starting to click for Nebraska now. And now, like you said, four games in eight days, three on the road. And now, you know, they don't play at home again for almost another, you know, they're going to go almost two weeks without playing a home game. So does this time off create some sort of, um, you know, hitch in the momentum? I don't think so. I think this team needed a break to get their legs under them and just kind of catch their breath. Uh, And now you look ahead, um, they're probably going to be favored in all remaining six games on the schedule. You were at Illinois, and then what, I think the, so. the Minnesota game will be that'll be kind of like what Wisconsin was. Yeah, probably, they're right? going to be toss ups, but you know it would not surprise me if it's you know a one or two point spread either way. Well, you look at the standings too, Robin. As you uh, were talking basketball, as Nebraska just sits here over this week long break, I mean the gap between four and five to six and seven is becoming more significant by the day. Uh, Maryland lost Wednesday night to Purdue. They're now four and seven. Indiana's five and six. Penn State after a loss at Michigan State is five and six. Here's Nebraska at eight and four, Michigan at seven and four um, going into Thursday. Um, you know, the the Huskers and the Wolverines, to me, that's going to be the one to watch. That battle for the number four seed, who will get that extra day off in New York. Um, but for Nebraska, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, you want to be that four spot, but part of me is like maybe you want to get a, a win in, in, in uh, New York as well. See, I don't think the number of wins at that point in the season is going to matter a whole lot. What's going to matter is the quality of wins. Win. And so by saving yourself as a double buy team, you're putting yourself with the opportunity of facing a potential tier, Michigan tier A, yeah, another Michigan. And so that would be so much more valuable than just say, you know, another throwaway win over Indiana the 12, the 12 or something seed. like that. Yeah. So I mean I mean that the the number of wins, you know, Nebraska's gonna have probably somewhere between 22. 21 and 23 wins if all things go as planned. Uh, if they win out, they're at 23. But so, I mean, it, that that's only going to take them so far, though. The one thing that they're lacking that is the biggest thing holding them out of bubble conversation as far as, you know, most national media um, is concerned is the fact that they haven't beaten anybody. Their win over against Michigan is really the only game you point to as a signature victory. Um, you know, they had plenty of chances and came up short. You know, they came up short against Kansas, Creighton. Uh, they don't play per Michigan State or Purdue at home. Uh, they don't play Ohio State at home. And so just the opportunities to get those wins are pretty much gone now. And so that's why the top four seed is so valuable, not only to put yourself, you know, a, two wins away from a plan for a conference championship, uh, but also, you know, getting the opportunity to play one of those elite teams in the top quarter of the conference that's going to do a whole lot more for your resume than just some throwaway game a day earlier. Yeah, if they get that Kansas game, they're in right now. If they have that Ohio State win um, when they're out there, even the Penn State game would have mattered a little bit. Uh, but those are the ones you circle. I mean, there's about three swing games. But still, Robin, I, 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 you have to think eyeball test is going to matter. This is not a team that's a pretending team. They're they're proving it. They're winning. Look at the home records in the Big Ten. When you win on the road uh, as a road team, it's not easy to do. And Nebraska, if they can get a win at Minnesota and a win at Illinois – uh, to get five, would it be five Big Ten road wins? Yeah, they got three right now. Um, if, if they were able to get five, that would be pretty dang impressive to go with potentially, you know, an undefeated home record. Yeah. And so, uh, I mean, 
if they do what they're supposed to do, and like I said, they're going to be favorites or very slim underdogs the rest of the way, uh, I mean, a, a 22-23 win season is not out of the question. And I just find it very hard to believe that if a Big Ten team finishes in the top four of the conference standings, wins 22 or 23 games, that you're going to leave them out because you're not impressed you're in with at their least resume. Dating. You're, it's you're it's not dating. like they played some throwaway schedule. I mean, you got, yeah, like you said, Sean, you got to look at the body of work. You got to look that uh, it came down to a buzzer beater to lose to Kansas, who's going to be a potential number one overall seed. You almost beat Creighton on the road, who is going to be a you know upper tier seed in the in the uh, NCAA tournament and so you know they and their other losses were to Michigan State a potential you know top three seed Purdue who's right now being picked as you know the Big Ten champion and a number one seed and then Ohio State who's a top 15 top 20 team and so I mean their body of work is actually pretty good the, the problem is they just weren't able to take that next step and actually win one of those games to really kind of emphasize their tournament resume you know, it almost reminds me a little bit last year of Wichita State, Robin. They had a much better record than Nebraska, but they didn't have any quality wins yeah. because of the Missouri Valley. And um, the, the, the Valley was down. It's gotten worse every year since Creighton's left. That's why Wichita went on and, and moved on to the AAC. Uh, but, you know, they lost their Oklahoma State game. Look at their schedule now. They lost to Michigan State. They lost to Louisville. So out of conference, that Michigan or that Wichita State team really didn't have a big quality win. They beat Oklahoma a year ago, but I don't think Oklahoma was that good um, last season. Um, but you know, they they eked it in. I believe they were. Were they in the play-in game last year? Yeah, I mean, they were right on that tier. And so, yeah, I think Nebraska is going to be something like that if they get in. The, Wichita State got in as a ten. They were a ten-seven. They played Dayton in round one, and then they lost to Kentucky. Um, you know, in, in, the, in the next game um, in, in the tournament. So that, that, that's one that kind of reminds me of Nebraska a little bit as far as, you know, you got to look at the eyeball test maybe a little bit here and give the Big Ten a little bit more respect based on the reputation of the league. Yeah, the Big Ten is is way better than people are trying to make it out to be. People are like trying to say the Big Ten is like one of the worst conferences in college basketball. Give me a break. They have two top five teams, and then Ohio State, who's in the top 20, and then um, I'm blanking on the other top 25 team. But anyway, they got four top 25 teams. Uh, Ohio, um, and so the, the, the conference is so much better than people want to actually admit. And so, you know, the problem is just Nebraska hasn't beaten any of those top teams. And so uh, Another thing holding them back that I forgot to mention earlier, uh, as far as RPI is concerned, they played Delaware State. Yes, they won the game by almost 20, but they played Delaware State, who is the bottom-ranked team in, in all RPI. of Division One basketball. I mean, they rank 351 out of 351, and, and so that-, that is killer for Nebraska's RPI. If they, I mean, don't even play that game, they're probably taking a pretty big jump into the top 50 RPI. Oh, and 21 if you're scoring. That, that's at how home. costly that game is, and so. You know, I mean, that's one of those games where it hurts you to even play it. I mean, you won by what seventeen, and it hurt, and it's it's hurting your tournament. That was almost a game where he's like, "I'm coaching to keep my job this year, and I'm tired of losing that Christmas break game. So we're going to put the worst team possible in PBA on a Friday night, and just hope like." A crowd full of young kids and family out on a Friday night can will us to a victory over Delaware <laughs> yeah. State. Well, and then they didn't help themselves by playing Stetson the next time out. They're 312 out of 350. Yeah, I mean, so. they, they, to me, they, they were just trying to avoid that Christmas break debacle they've had every year. Which, you can hard to blame them. I mean, <laughs> when you lose three straight, you got to do something. But, you know, the talk, I mean, as we wrap this discussion up, the talk of Miles on the hot seat or if they don't make the tournament, I mean, he's done enough this year. He's, to me, it's all about is the program going in the right direction? And, and I think 
I don't know who you can't say if you talk to anyone right now that they're they don't like the direction of where this thing's going and and that's what I look at more than just oh we have to get in the tournament or, and otherwise he's done. I'm I'm with you. I mean that that was kind of in my opinion what needed to happen. Nebraska needed to be in the conversation and they are firmly in the conversation but if right now. Fourth. Not only that, they are on pace to have their best season in over, you know, 10 years and then probably even more so um, if they can get over 20 wins. So, I mean, the table is set for this to be one of the most successful seasons in program history. And so to say that, you know, all of a sudden their coach is still uh, on the hot seat, I think it's just ridiculous. Yeah, everyone's sad. I think everyone's satisfied with what's happening. And it buckle up, guys. It's going to be a fun ride. Six more games to go. And when they're good, we send Robin on the road. He was at Wisconsin. He'll be at Minnesota. Um, so keep your per diem down. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll limit it to just one ribeye. <laughs> All right, when we come back, uh, we're going to take your questions in the mailbag. Uh, plenty of stuff to get through this week. That's next here on the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And hey, welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus. It's time for the mailbag as we take your questions from the Red Sea Scrolls, you, the members, and we let you know what we think. Uh, lots of good questions again this week on the mailbag, and uh, we're going to go recruiting out of the gates here, Nate. Uh, will in you finish? This question, by the way, is from uh, T. Sut 1982. Will Nebraska finish in the top 20 when it is all said and done, and who are your immediate impact contributors on offense and defense from the class? And what order will they commit down to the day, an hour, and second? No, no. Uh, I do think that they will end up with a top 20 class, although it's. I think it – It'll be close because right now, with the way that Rivals um, calculates the the class rankings, it, they take into account their top twenty recruits, and they're technically at twenty right now. So, really, from here on out, in each additional uh, commitment is not going to, you know, you're not going to see those huge gains that you've been seeing each commitment. You know, where uh, Nebraska was jumping five, ten spots uh, each commitment in the rankings. So, from here on out, it's going to be kind of a you know, slower go, and of course, there's going to be other teams that are adding commits too. But I do think they end up you know, with a top 20 class. Now, impact guys. I mean, you have to you have to point to the JUCO guys right off the bat. Um, you know, I think, and then the skill position players. Uh, it really, really, any defensive back or wide receiver that's coming in in this class is going to have an opportunity to play. Uh, I'm especially high on a, a guy like Cameron Jones or Cam Jones. Uh, the the four star safety that just committed to Nebraska, and then Miles Jones, uh, the four star athlete, running back slash wide receiver. Uh, both those guys, to me, are true freshmen that can make an immediate impact. And then, you know, we'll see what happens at the quarterback spot with Adrian Martinez. Our next question uh, from our good friend S. Latimer: Given what you guys know about Nebraska's personnel on the offensive line, what scheme do you think will be the most challenging for the O line to become proficient in? As um, uh, that Coach Frost has shown to employ. Um, well, I, you know, I, I think the biggest thing still for me, guys, is tackle play. Um, you know, Brendan Hymas, how's he going to develop? Is he going to is he going to gain the necessary weight this off season? And can Matt Farniak really grasp that number one right tackle job? And then who's the next guy? I, I think they're fine. 
at guard and center. I think the new strength program, what they're going to do nutritionally, um, I expect to see a lot of gains from this group of guys. There's going to be some bumps in the road, uh, but the tackle play for me, Robin, still continues to be a big concern because I really don't have a read, especially after those top two guys. Yeah, that's a very uh, inside baseball question that I'm going to keep really simple. Yeah, I think it was on purpose that he was trying to do that to us. Yeah, and so I'm going to say pass protection. Uh, how about that? You're going to have whoever is back there at quarterback is going to be a young, inexperienced quarterback, likely playing its most his most extensive college football snaps of his career. So by uh, as a result, you know we this is an offensive line that let Tanner Lee get pummeled all season long. Uh, and you know, really uh, struggled in a lot of different ways. They gave up pressure up the middle. They gave up pressure on the ends with the tackles, and just really struggled to, to do anything to keep the quarterback upright. And so, you know, whoever that quarterback is needs to have time in the pocket. And so, I would say that that is probably maybe the most pressing need, especially just with the style of offense that you know Scott Frost likes to run. I think to me, the the big thing that I'm looking forward to seeing is is how the addition of you know the the RPO really impacts this offensive line because I don't know that that we're necessarily going to you know see this offensive line you know have to sit back there and, and keep a clean pocket for an extended period of time uh, when there's going to be run pass options uh, quite a bit so uh, I think that could actually play into you know uh, the strengths of this this offensive line and, and actually help this group out um, I think there's a lot of talent there but obviously uh, you know this spring is going to be big for all those guys. yeah we're not going to S. Latimer, we're not going to pretend like we know X's and O we're, we're clearly not as smart as you you are a coach you have more knowledge in this stuff but I think most of our listeners are in the same boat as we are. Uh, but, you know, the personnel is kind of what we're talking about here. And hopefully uh, we gave you the answer you guys were looking for there. Uh, Robin, one for you. How do you pronounce the syndrome that players got in the weight room again? Oh, geez. Rabomyolysis? Ra- rab- rabdomyosis. Okay. <laughs> my, my, I don't know. I forgot. I had it like two segments. Hopefully this is the only time, uh, obviously, we have yeah, to. We'll just call it rabdo. Rabdo. Okay. Um Next question here, as we take your questions here in the mailbag, it's from Runer1. How many recruits, Nate, do you see paying for the trip out of their own pocket to come to the spring game or other recruiting events this summer, given the very low official visit numbers left to give out after this year's recruiting cycle is done? Well, first of all, I'm not expecting them to have any official visits. Um, They might have one. Maybe one. (laughs) We'll, We'll see. But um, you know, I don't. I don't know that it, they're going to take a huge hit. I, I think they'll still be if they do it the right way. I think they'll still be able to to draw a lot of a lot of uh, players to campus who who will pay their you know pay out of their own pocket to come see the Huskers. You know, it's it's been proven that that you can get big time athletes on campus for the spring game and, and for uh, junior days and for especially for Friday Night Lights. So I don't I don't see why that should change all of a sudden now that recruits can start taking official visits a little. bit bit earlier in the process of course not every junior in the country is going to be taking all five of his visits right out of the gate so uh, to me I I don't see it being a huge impact you're listening here to the Husker Online show as uh, we take your questions here in the mailbag lots of questions here I'm trying to see if I can find a good basketball one for you Robin has Tim Miles done enough and we kind of hit on this a little bit already but has he done enough to get another year regardless if the NCAA at large bid comes or not 
Yes, yes, and like we, like we said in the basketball segment, um, you know, I think all, what they need to do is show improvement, and he has done that tenfold. And now the issue is, um, you know, what as Bill Moose, I mean, the, you're talking about a coach that's running real short on that contract, and that, I can tell you for a fact, is being used against Nebraska in recruiting. So uh, if this is the guy that you want and you're not going to make a move this year, you better extend him uh, because that's been a real – hurdle this staff has had to recruit against you know, when teams within their own conference are using it uh, to negatively recruit against them. Follow-up, if they don't make the tournament, and this is from Joel Narr, um, how deep could you see this team making a run at NIT, and and could it would the team take it as a letdown, or could they really try to use it as an opportunity? I mean, I'm sure there will be some feeling of letdown uh, because this is a team that went into the season determined to make the NCAA tournament. And I think they're certainly good enough to make the NCAA tournament. So to not get there uh, would be disappointing. Uh, but if they are end up in the NIT, I think that they certainly, I mean, look at Minnesota a few years ago. I think that they're in that same position to where they could make a very deep run. Um, and I think that they have the depth, they have the talent. Um, to, like we said, I mean, right now, there's a lot of people that think that they're a surefire tournament team uh, but if they don't make it then I think the NIT could very well be an opportunity because you look what Minnesota did they went to the NIT and they won the thing the very next year they put together their best season in program history so I'm not saying that that's this recipe Nebraska is going to follow but the opportunity is there for a somewhat comparable performance this last question here as we wrap it up here um, in the mailbag it's for all three of us uh, P Mocha Lada Sat um, if I got that wrong, I apologize. Are you guys more excited about our program's future than you've ever been in the past 18 years? It just feels different. It feels well, exciting, like we actually have something to look forward to. And, um, yeah, I do. Um, I mean, I've been – obviously, I started my my first year on the beat was Solch's second season in 99, and they won a Big 12 title. And I remember saying to myself, man, I'm going to cover a lot of these over my career covering Nebraska football. I didn't know I'd be – where I'm at today, but you know, I just thought this is you kind of took it for granted that they won conference titles, they played in Fiesta Bowls. Well, that was the only time they played in a BCS New Year's Six level bowl. The Cotton Bowl year that was not a New Year's Six bowl, that was a Big 12 tie in bowl. So I've covered one Cotton Bowl, and you know, there, there were moments I'll admit during the Callahan era when they went to Arrowhead Stadium and there were 60,000 Nebraska fans there on a cold December night. They should have won the Big 12 title that year. And that was a time where I'm like, wow, this program is close. Um, and then when Dominican Sue was here in 09, another moment. But I, I just think it feels different with Scott Frost. It feels right. And it doesn't feel forced. And they're proving that on the recruiting trail, how they're operating. So I think, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. And he's got the support of the former players. And I think that's what's different about this than any of the previous moves past Solage that uh, there aren't. I mean, there might be a couple guys, but it's pretty hard to be vocally against Scott Frost right now. If you do, they're going to run you out of the state. Yeah, I think just the unification of it all. I mean, this fan base was gruesomely split down the middle uh, by the end of the Riley era. And Bill Moose mentioned that in his opening press conference. And that needed to be fixed, and it needed to be fixed in a major way. And there was one coach available on the market that could do it. And that's Scott Frost. I mean, when he was hired, uh, everyone came back together to rally behind the same cause. And, you know, the last couple coaching hires, while there was plenty of excitement and optimism and hope, uh, nothing to the level that we've seen thus far. And you can just feel it around Lincoln. I think just the, around campus, around the city, there is a buzz that had been lacking for a long, long time around here. And so we'll see how long it lasts. But right now, everybody's feeling good.
It was the perfect time to to hire the perfect coach, um, and and to me, not only has it unified the the fan base, but I think that um, there also are, are a lack of question marks in terms of the the leadership, you know, that exists higher up, you know, whether it be uh, the, from the university president or chancellor or athletic director. Uh, I think in the past you could always kind of point to some you know some questionable people that that were in charge of things, and and now I, I think that the Frost truly does have the keys uh, to the program and. Um, you know, and like I said, I think he's the right guy. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited as, as I've been since I've either worked for Nebraska or have been covering recruiting. All right, when we come back, we're going to close it with recruiting as Nate Klaus will give us a rundown of what to expect this weekend as where Nebraska is going to be and uh, what to keep our eyes on for signing day. That's all next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online show as we are less than a week from National Letter of Intent Signing Day. And Nate Klaus, uh, the 80-hour weeks are about to come down to about a 60-hour week. So um, get, brace yourself, my friend. Yeah, I, I think I can handle that. You know, <laughs> as we talk some recruiting, let's let's start off first, Nate. The Huskers get uh, a long-awaited commitment from four-star defensive back Cam Jones. This is one that we thought was going to maybe happen before the December 20th signing day. He held it all the way out um, and waited, uh, but made it official here um, on the weekend on Saturday night. Yeah, this is something that had been in the works, like you said, basically since his visit the weekend of December 15th. And uh, and there was, I, I, even though he said that, that he didn't know where he was going up until a couple of hours before he announced on live television in, in, in Dallas, uh, on the, I think the NBC News affiliate there in Dallas, I, I know that there was a point in time where, um, where he was close to signing during the early signing period, but he ended up wanting to take one more visit just to make sure that, that uh, you know, he was – he was solid with the Huskers. He, he took an unofficial visit to Nebraska and then took an official visit to Ole Miss um, and then committed this past weekend. And a uh, huge pickup for Nebraska because not only do they need defensive backs in this in this class, but he's an impact player, impact safety, 6'2", 190-pound kid with verifiable track times. Um, and, I mean, you just look at his stats – and, and he does it all. I mean, from being terrific in run support to, to uh, you know, having the ball skills to defend the pass in the back end of that defense, um, blocking field goals and punts, and, I mean, picking off passes, uh, returning kickoffs for touchdowns, even playing a little wide receiver. At that level of, of football in the state of Texas, uh, I mean, he is a big-time, big-time football player. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we discuss recruiting here with Nate Klaus. Um, now, when you don't count Mastery Maypoo because it's kind of hard to – to uh, you know, put his commitment in there right now. Uh, Nebraska with 19, Nate. As you as you look at the number, um, they've got at this moment six guys that will sign um, on that December on that February 7th signing day. Uh, the number is 19. Uh, I believe it keeps them at 84 scholarships at this very moment. So uh, my math says they've got four more spots left, but I've heard more than that possibly. What can you tell us? Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty sure we're going to see more than four. Uh, I think that we could see as many as as six or seven, but probably between four and six is is the safe bet. For sure, uh, four though. Yeah, for sure, four. Um, like you said, there's 
there's a handful of guys that, that are going to be announcing on signing day, um, you know, a couple of which are, uh, you know, visiting this weekend. Um, so, you know, Maurice Washington, the running back out of Dallas, is, is one of the bigger targets. Uh, Javante uh, Jean-Baptiste, the four-star outside linebacker uh, out of New Jersey. Um, you know, Cameron Taylor, the, the safety out of Alabama. Uh, Tyon Palmer, the, the talented cornerback out of Georgia. Uh, I mean, the list kind of goes on and on there. So uh, there's going to be some drama on, on signing day, although – you know, I feel like the staff has a pretty good read on on where things are heading uh, at this point in time with a, with a number of these guys, and um, you know, with something that's different this year compared to years past is is I feel like these guys have a pretty good system in place where um, you know if if something changes late on, late here in the coming days or even hour to hour, um, I feel like they've got a backup plan and they've got a backup plan to that backup plan. Um, you know, the, the board is fairly deep there. Um, not super deep, but it's deeper than what we've been, kind of become accustomed to in years past where we've seen the, the class fall short of, of the numbers, and which has really caused problems down the road. Now, the, the, you know, there'll be a, at least you know anywhere from five to seven. They have seven visitors left they can bring in. We think they'll probably bring in seven guys, Nate, when um, you look at that, uh, that visit list. But uh, a couple of names for sure that you can share with us. Let's start with Maurice Washington. I mean, this is one that I know everybody's kind of exhausted, a lot of effort covering um, his recruitment and kind of the changing of the visits. I mean, I think he's, <laughs> he's, he's, I think he's actually had a visit scheduled in Nebraska, what, three different weekends yeah, or four different weekends? Every weekend in, in January. The 12th, and, the 19th, the 26th, and the 2nd. Yep. And so uh, at one and point – We've heard about it. <laughs> at, at one point in time, uh, he's been – been set to come in uh, every weekend uh, since the dead period ended, and so, but he's finally making it in this coming weekend, the last weekend before signing day, uh, and really this is down to Arizona State and Nebraska, and you know an Arizona State um, visit went well, uh, but Nebraska is getting the last shot here, and, and his mother who lives in California is coming in, and uh, and and Scott Frost and, and this staff really kind of pulled out all the stops this week. By uh, you know, by showing uh, you know just how much they want him. You know, Coach Frost and five other assistants stopped by his school, spent a good amount of time with uh, with Maurice and, and the coaches there at Trinity Christian in Cedar Hill, Texas, and then they boarded a flight out to California to spend the rest of the evening with Maurice's uh, rest of the afternoon and evening with Maurice's mother, uh, because you only get one shot to have the head coach in your home uh, to visit you, and so because Maurice and his mother don't live in the same location. Uh, they had to fly, you know, halfway across the country to go spend the rest of the the day uh, with his mother, and and I think that made a huge impression not only on on Maurice and his mother, but on the on everyone else who's kind of associated here. And there's a lot of people in the mix here. I mean, his camp is large. Um, you know, you, obviously you got you got mom, you got to got to take care of mom there, uh, but you also have his coaching staff. Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders is involved. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts in this recruitment which is uh, which has kind of been you know part of the reason why I think that uh, you know it's kind of been day-to-day with everything and then you throw in the, the academic part of everything which is 
is really the the main reason why um, you know a lot of a lot of big time teams uh, that initially offered kind of fell off the edge here uh, with him, and, and that could be to Nebraska's advantage here because um, you know I know that they feel like they can get him in, and uh, and I, I feel very confident about their chances heading into this final weekend, and then of course into to signing day. Nate, as we wrap it up here, one of the things I wanted to talk about to you too is. This is the way with this early signing day, it takes a lot of pressure off the coaches from having to visit all 18 or 20-plus commits plus new targets, where it's allowed this staff to kind of do these swarm visits where literally six to eight Nebraska coaches could come into your living room on a given night. And we've seen, I don't know, seven, eight times, if not more, where this staff has kind of done one of those big swarm visits. Yeah, they really have. They've, they've, they've really taken advantage of that. And I think that is one positive to the early signing period, because I think if you ask the coaches, I think they would come to the table with, with some good pros and some good cons to the early signing period. But definitely the fact that you don't have to worry about uh, the large majority of your class being poached or, or keeping these guys happy all the way up to, to signing day, I think is, is kind of a big relief. Plus, it's allowed them to kind of uh, make these big, huge impact in-home visits where, um, you know, when you're rolling five, six, seven, eight coaches deep into a, a home, I mean, that that really shows these kids and, you know, and their families and their coaches and whoever else uh, just how much they're, they're wanted because um, you know, a lot of other schools, they don't do that. Um, you know, maybe one or two coaches, but for the most part, these, these other schools have, have got their staff spread out all across the country. Um, but you know when Nebraska has kind of pulled out the stops there, especially uh, you know with with you know the, all the accolades that Coach Frost has has kind of racked up here, and he's kind of the hot name in college football. Uh, it's made a huge impact. All right, I'm gonna kind of go rapid fire here as we wrap it up. Jarrett Bell, one or two sentences on his update timeline. Yeah, well, no one really knows. Uh, it's it's just no decision right now. That's that's basically the only answer we've gotten out of him. Um, Arizona, Nebraska. Now I, I get the feeling that he's kind of holding out for something for, for a late offer, most likely from Notre Dame. Um, you know, so I, I think Nebraska's got just a couple more days left to see if that uh, offer happens and in a subsequent visit uh, to to Notre Dame. So uh, if it doesn't happen, I, I still like Nebraska's chances but um, I'm not nearly as confident as I was a couple weeks ago. All right, uh, Javante uh, Jean-Baptiste. Uh, I think Nebraska is definitely the team to beat here. Uh, however, Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M, is ma- they're making a, a late push. So uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, it's likely that he takes a visit to College Station this weekend. Uh, but I still think that that's a trip that Nebraska can overcome. And then Matthew Tago, Nate, when's it, what's his timeline? Uh, he's going to be committing on Saturday night. Uh, and I, th- I think that, you know this is a battle between, oddly enough, Nebraska and Oregon State. Oregon State likes him as an outside linebacker. Uh, Nebraska wants him as a quarterback. So does he take the opportunity to play quarterback at the next level, which is something that's very appealing to him, or is is the draw to play outside linebacker, which may be a position that could set him up better for an opportunity to play at the next level beyond college. Um, plus, Oregon State's kind of got that Polynesian connection uh, that Nebraska is really lacking right now, and I think that could play a factor into the decision. But I still give the Huskers a slight edge heading into his decision this Saturday. All right, well, it's going to be a busy, busy weekend and a busy week on Husker Online as 
we come back next week, we'll have our recap of signing day. And let me tell you, there's going to be plenty to talk about. So uh, make sure you join us again next week here on the Husker Online Show. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 